When I've faced big decisions in life, I've wanted to know, what is God's will? What do you want me to do in this situation, God? And when Katie and I were trying to decide if we should keep working with the college ministry you're involved with, crew, or if I should pursue becoming a pastor, we asked, God, what do you want us to do? What's your will in this situation? And then, again, when we had the opportunity, um, when I was in seminary, to get in a church planting uh, training program, once again, we had to ask, God, is this what you want us to do? Is this the right program? Is this the right time? Is this um, your will for us? And then we may have other decisions. You know, we had to make a big decision about well, where should we plant the church? Should it be here or there or somewhere else? What's your will, God? And buying a house, we might feel, should what, what do you want me to do, God? I don't want to be outside of your will. I want to do what you want me to do. And what is God's will for my life? And that's a question most of us have probably asked at some point because um, we've all faced big decisions in our life maybe long ago or maybe recently or maybe you have a big decision in front of you right now or you're probably going to have one in the near future where you're wondering what you want me to do God and what college should I go to what job should I take what house should I buy where should I live and we sometimes imagine maybe you're not like me but if you're like me we sometimes imagine I've got this decision this is like a fork in the road and if I go down the wrong path I'm going to be not doing God's will for the rest of my entire life. Like if I buy the wrong house, you know, I'm going to be just veer off and I'm not even going to be doing what God wants me to. Or if I go to the wrong college or if I, you know, go do the wrong thing in this moment, like that's going to be the fork in the road where I could have gone left and that would have been God's will for me, but I went right and now, you know, I'm off. I'm just veering off into this wherever it is that I'm going, but it's not God's will. And wouldn't life be so much easier if we knew what God wants us to do um, in every situation or every circumstance. And so when I answer this question together, why do we want to know God's will for our lives? Why do we want to know God's will for our lives? We're going to put it up on the board. Why do we want to know that? And maybe if you're like, I'm not quite sure how to answer that. Another maybe more specific way to think about it is, how would we feel knowing that we're, what we're doing is God's will? So why would we want to know God's will for our lives um, how does it make us feel when we're when we do know we're doing God's will? Peace. Peace. We feel peace. Yeah. Why would we feel peace? There isn't this like angst of like I don't know, is this the right thing or not? Mm-hmm. You know, you're doing the right thing. Yeah. I'm not doing the wrong thing here. God's not mad at me or something like that. Yeah. yeah. To be truly obedient. So we desire to obey. That's why we want to know his will. Yeah, that's good. Or please him, you could say it. We also know his character is good and that he's wise, and so what he wants is best, and so So he's know. good and we want we want his plan or something because we know his plan's a good one, so we want to follow that. And he's, he's wise. good. Want to follow his wise plan. And even like he's all knowing, right? So like he sees the unseen. Oh yeah. So even the things like we couldn't. Yeah, like I really want this house. Well, he <laughs> sees like it's gonna, you know, the basement's gonna flood in a Yeah, so it's nice. Yeah, if you could go to somebody who knows all the possible things that could happen, it's like, 
You know, if they're like, I think you should buy this other house and not that one, you wouldn't be like, no, like, I think I know better. It's like, no, they know everything. So, so he's all knowing. Uh, I don't, I guess I'll just leave it at that. I'm not quite sure how to explain it. But, um, yeah, any other reasons we want to know God's will or how will we feel knowing what we're doing is God's will for us? Or You feel the, the resonance of that kind of peace in, in, in a larger way than just your own life. You feel that things are made better to those around you. It's like a ripple effect or something yes. like that? Yes. So uh, the peace kind of has a ripple effect? Yeah. Yeah, you're maybe not like super anxious and antsy or whatever, and so people, other people can kind of uh, breathe or feed off of that. I think one of the ripples of the peace would be joy as well. Mm-hmm. Joy? Yeah, Jesus certainly said that, that he had joy in obeying God and doing his will. Yeah, any other feelings that you feel like, I know that I'm doing what God wants me to do? Maybe purpose. Purpose, yeah. Yeah, we don't want to feel aimless. Like, I think maybe with purpose comes, a, comes like courage because it's like, if even if other people are disagreeing with what you're doing or even if, there's opposition or hardship. It's like, no, I'm going to keep pushing through. I, this is what I, I know I need to do this. I know God wants me to do this. So um, I would kind of link those together. Yeah. Oh, yeah, endurance, because you're like, well, things got hard, but I endured because I know this is what God wants me to do. Yeah. If you know there's a purpose in it, too, you have endurance. Yeah. Last call. Markers closed. Shall not be open. Um, so this week, we're continuing this series called Final Words for Following Jesus. And Jesus is uh, having this final conversation um, in the Gospel according to John. He knows he's about to die. So he's having this final conversation with his disciples. This is, this is like hours before he's going to die. And this is what he wants to get across to them. Um, and he, he wants them to remain connected to him. I'm leaving but you can still be connected to me, and this is how. And they're not really getting it. I mean, they're like, what do you mean, like, you're leaving and you're going to come to us again? And, like, what do, you mean it's, what do you mean it's better that you go? He said that in chapter 16. It said, to your advantage, that I leave, he says, because then I can send the Holy Spirit. And in John 17, he stops speaking to them, and he starts speaking to God. John 17 is this prayer that Jesus um, prays. Um, he prays for three different people. Um, he prays for himself. He prays for these 11 disciples that are sitting in front of him. And then he actually prays for us. He prays for all future disciples that would come to believe through the the ministry of these original 12. And in this prayer, we get this unique window into Jesus' heart. And in many ways, his prayer summarizes everything he's been talking about with them in this final conversation. Um, And it shows us his deepest desire for anybody who wants to be his disciple, who wants to follow him. And Jesus has talked, um, maybe you're confused as we've been going through John 13 to 17 about this phrase, praying in his name. Um, Jesus keeps saying that over and over, and you'll pray in my name, you'll pray in my name, you'll pray according to my name. Um, And we've talked about how praying in Jesus' name means praying in alignment with who he is and what he is about. It's praying in alignment, you could say, with his will, with his desires, um, what he wants done, his plans, uh, and his purposes. 
And what better way to learn how to pray in Jesus' name by, than by learning what Jesus himself prays um, for us. That's his will for us. That's his desires for us. And so, um, as I said, he prays for three different people, himself, his original disciples, and future disciples. <coughs> as he does so, he makes four requests. Um, but really, those four requests can be drilled down into two desires that are at the core. And he has this specific outcome that will happen. He says, if these two desires uh, are true, fulfilled, here's this outcome that will happen. And so here's the big idea that summarizes those two desires and the outcome. Um, I've, this is the shortest I could get it. So believe me, I tried. So Jesus' desire, what Jesus wants uh, is for us to know God truly. It's three. It's two things. Here's the two desires. He wants us to know God truly, so we'll love each other deeply. And the result, the outcome of this, is that it proves the gospel is true. It proves the good news is true. So Jesus wants us to know God truly, have this relationship with God, so we'll love each other deeply, um, to prove uh, the gospel is true. And who does it prove the gospel is true to? It proves the gospel is true um, to the world, the watching world that's watching the church, watching Jesus' disciples. Um, when we know God truly and love each other deeply, it proves to the world that the gospel is true, that it's true news. And we'll, so we'll break up Jesus' prayer into three parts um, according to three different people he prays for. And so let's start with Jesus' prayer for himself in verses 1 through 5. And Jesus spent, we've covered this in, in as we've gone along, but in brief, Jesus spent the final week of his life in Jerusalem, the capital city of Israel. Uh, and on Thursday, he celebrated the Passover meal with his disciples, and he's instructing them and talking with them. Um, and at some point, he says, rise, let, let's get up from here. So they leave the room where they're eating dinner, and they're walking around the streets of Jerusalem. Eventually, they're going to get to the Garden of Gethsemane, which is this garden of like olive trees. Um, eventually, they're going to get there, but right now, they're walking through the streets of Jerusalem, um, it, it would seem. And after he as he's doing so, he starts praying. And so like, let's walk through his prayer starting in verse 1. We'll just go through this part by part here in these first five verses. So it says, When Jesus had spoken these words, John 17, verse 1, When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. And so Jesus has been saying that his hour is going to come, and now it finally has come, meaning it's the time for him to give his life. It's the time of his death. I mean, really, this is the purpose he came for. He came to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to die so that we could be forgiven. And in light of that, he makes this request as the verse continues. He says this, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. So Jesus' first request is that God the Father... To glorify him and to glorify someone, sometimes Nick talks about that at the beginning of our service, to glorify someone means to, to make much of them, to reveal and declare their importance and their worth. So to glorify <laughs> someone means to make much of them, to reveal and declare their importance and worth. And for what purpose does Jesus want the Father? Why does he want the Father to reveal his importance and worth? Well, he says, I want you to glorify me that I may glorify you. So Jesus wants to be glorified. He wants people to see how important he is and how worthy he is, how valuable he is, so that the Father will be glorified. And how does Jesus glorify the Father then? Or why, how are these connected? Well, verse 2 gives some clarity. It says this, Since you've given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Since, or because the Father has given Jesus authority over all flesh, 
Jesus asked the Father to glorify him. You've given me all this authority, now glorify me, Father. Well, what has Jesus been given the authority to do? It says to give eternal life to all whom the Father has given him. Jesus has the authority to dispense or to give out eternal life. And we would ask, well, what is eternal life? Well, Jesus thankfully defines it. He says in verse 3, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, <coughs> and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life, he says, is knowing the only true God and knowing Jesus whom he sent. Eternal life is not what happens after we die. Eternal life is found in a relationship with God, God the Father and God the Son. And eternal life is about, we've talked about connection and commitment. Well, you guys can't see it over there. You have to trust me. Connection and commitment is, can kind of boil down what Jesus is talking about in these last, uh, these last hours of his life in, in chapter John. These chapters in John. Eternal life is being connected to God, being in relationship with God. And then Jesus goes on in verse 4. He says this, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Before anything else existed, Jesus existed with the Father, which takes us back to John 1. The Word was with God, and the Word was God, and then the Word became flesh. And so Jesus was with God in glory, and they're in this relationship uh, of love, Father and Son loving one another. And then the Son comes to earth. He comes to give his life, um, comes to dwell among us so that he can accomplish this God's work um, that God has planned. And what has Jesus accomplished? Well, Jesus... He's going to talk about in this prayer, and he's talked about before. He reveals what God is really like. Um, we heard a lot about um, Jesus's, God's name and Jesus' name. And somebody's name, it's like, you know, when you see a business, like out here, headquarters. And you're like, okay, that's a business name. And you're like, that name is going to signify, there's a business back there. It's, if you, when you hear that name, if you've been there before, you've heard other people talk about it, it's going to bring something to your mind. It doesn't bring really anything to my mind except, oh, that's kind of, you know, like clever. Um, but I've never been in there, so, you know, nothing. You know, sometimes when we hear the word God, maybe some people, nothing comes to their mind. Some people, negative things might come to their mind. Some people, positive things may come to their mind. But Jesus says, um, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I'm perfectly revealing what God is like. I'm perfectly revealing what's true about God. I'm perfectly revealing God's character. If God was here in person, which he is in me, not me, Jesus, then this is what he would be doing. This is what he would be saying. This is how he'd be acting. I perfectly reveal what God is like. And so Jesus is to be glorified because he's been put in charge of accomplishing God's plan of salvation. As God, he came to earth. He's perfectly revealing God. And then the moment that reveals God most clearly is when he dies on a cross because John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And God's love is most clearly seen when Jesus gives his life. That's when he's accomplishing God's eternal plan to reconnect humanity with our Creator. And that's why Jesus prays to be glorified, because he's about to accomplish God's eternal plan with his love and his sacrificial obedience. That brings us back to our big idea. Jesus wants us to know God truly, so we'll love each other deeply to prove the gospel is true. And what Jesus does, he makes a relationship with God available to us. And it's showing us, this is what God is like. He, he wants to be in relationship with us. And he's willing to do everything that is necessary for us to be in that relationship. This is what God is like. We want, need to know God truly. 
And our biggest problem in life is not that we don't know what to do. You know, when you think about doing God's will, it's like, I just need to know what to do. What is the one little thing I need to do in this situation? Which house is it? You know, which decision is it? How should I act for this person? Which job should I take? It's not about knowing the thing to do. Our biggest problem in life is that we don't know who God really is. Jesus came to reveal that God is way better than we so often think he is or believe he is. And Jesus, the Son of God, left heaven to die the death we deserve. He paid for our forgiveness. And this is a display of God's mighty love for us. So what is Jesus' will for your life? It's that you know God truly. Everything God wants for you is accomplished through Jesus. His plan, his will for you, is that you know him. That's why Jesus came to earth and gave his life. So next, Jesus prays for the 11 disciples walking with him. He prayed for himself, and I prays for the 11 disciples walking with him in Jerusalem in verses 6 through 19. And starting in verses 6 through 11, they tell us why he's praying for them. Basically, it's these guys sitting in front of me have come to know God. He's praying to God the Father, and he's saying, these guys have come to know you. They've come to believe the gospel. Jesus has revealed the truth about God to them, and they've come to know God truly. And they've, they're in this place. They know God truly through Jesus, is what he says. So let's reread those verses. That's kind of the summary. So verses 6 through 11 say this. I've manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they've kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I've given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they believe that you sent me. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you've given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I'm glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you. And Jesus says he's manifested the Father's name to them, meaning he's revealed who God really is to them, who God truly is to them. They know the truth of God, primarily that his love is beyond our wildest imagination. And he says that they belong to the Father, and the Father has given them to Jesus. He has been entrusted with them. He takes care of them. In the words of John 10 that we um, studied a few, uh, several, like two months three months back, um, he is their shepherd and they are his sheep. This is the God's flock that has been entrusted to the shepherd Jesus. He's the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. And he says that they've come to know the truth that Jesus was sent by God. And I mean, that's pretty big uh, to realize. I mean, maybe they're not realizing that uh, he came from eternity past, but even like, you know, somebody realizing, like, you've come from God, like you've come uh, from heaven um, to us is a big thing to realize. And they trust him as their king, and they're keeping his word, and they're obeying him. They're committed to Jesus. And so Jesus' first request to God is that, God, would you glorify me? Let, me? let them see my importance, my worth, my value. And his second request comes in the second half of verse 11. He says this, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you've given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. As I said, God's name is God's character. It's who he is. It represents all that he's about. And his name represents everything true of him. And Jesus asked the Father, keep them in that truth. Keep them believing what's true about your character, God. Keep them knowing you truly. They've come to know him truly, and he wants them to continue knowing God truly. And for what purpose? He says that they may be one, even as he and the Father are one. 
And Jesus made a big deal about oneness in these final words. And maybe as we've gone along, you've been like, I don't really get that. And I've tried to use some images to help us understand that. You know, Father and Son can be one in purpose, one in relationship, one in love. Um, we've used some other images too. A shepherd and the sheep. As the sheep follow the shepherd, there's like a oneness there that they're moving in unison. They're, they're trusting you, the sheep trust and obey the shepherd, and the shepherd provides for and guides and um, loves the, the sheep. Um, but Jesus says uh, he wants us to be one with him, and when we're one with him, we're one with God the Father. He wants to be, us to be united in relationship and in purpose. He wants us to uh, be in line with, you know, if two things are in alignment, it's like they're one, and it's, he wants us to be in alignment with what's true about God, how much he loves us, and he wants us to be true, in line with God's purpose and mission for us, and but thus far, here he says something different. Thus far, he's not spoken about us being one with each other. But here he says, "Keep them in your name, which you've given me, that they may be one, even as we are one." And he hasn't said that yet, but he has talked about us having love for one another, love that's loving each other, like Jesus has loved us. And he actually said back in John chapter thirteen, he said. Here's my final command. This is the thing I really want you to pay attention to. I want you to love each other like I've loved you so that the world will know you are my disciples. He's like, if there's anything else you remember that I've said, do this thing. And at the end of this prayer in verse 26, he prays that the love with which the Father has loved him would be in us, in his disciples. And it makes sense that if we're one with Jesus, we're one with each other. If we're all committed to and connected to Jesus and we're all living on Jesus' mission, you know, as individuals, well, that means we're one with each other. We're all committed and connected to the same person. We're all committed to the same mission, moving in the same direction. Um, Jesus at our center, if you think about our, our logo, like these little dots, uh, are representative of our community. And if Jesus is at the center, the crown, we're, that unites us around him, around his purposes, his mission. And Jesus says if we're going to live for him, that what he really wants us to do is to love each other as he's loved us. So our big idea says this. Jesus wants us to know God truly. Why? So we'll love each other deeply to prove the gospel is true. Knowing God truly, knowing the truth that God loves us so much that he'd send his only son to die the death we deserve, for us to be forgiven, for us to be united with him. That transforms us to love one another deeply with that same sort of, of love, And actually, a lot of places in the Bible say, you know how you can tell um, if somebody isn't a true believer? They aren't loving other people. They're not loving other believers. And he says, you know how you can tell somebody is a true believer? They're loving other believers in their life. And of course, we're all going to be imperfect at that. Um, but they say, if you, hate, if you hate your brother or sister in Christ, like how can you call yourself somebody who loves God? Because God is love. And if you love them, that love is going to be expressed towards other people that are united to him. Jesus' prayer here is that his disciples would keep knowing God truly. But maybe we were wondering, well, why does he think they won't? Why would they stop knowing God truly? If this amazing thing has happened to them, why would they stop knowing God? Why would they break off from relationship with him? Well, he explains in verses 12 through 14. It says this, While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you've given me. I have guarded them. And not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, 
because they're not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And while Jesus was with them, he's right there, and he says, I've kept them in the truth about who you are. I've led them in that. I've helped them understand it. I've helped them believe it. I've helped them obey in light of it. And he's helped them to walk in the light. But now he says, I'm going to return to the Father. And so he's asking the Father, would you keep them walking with you? He know, He's already told them, the world's going to hate you. Uh, if you love me, the world's going to hate you. Because before you were... You belong to the world, but now I've taken you out of the world and you belong to me, and that's going to mean you look different. The world's going to hate you. It's going to push against you. It might be in subtle ways, or it might be in really um, direct uh, and uh, you know, obvious ways, but the world is going to push against you. There's going to be immense pressure to stop following Jesus. And if we don't believe that's true today still, um, then we're in a bad spot, because if you don't know your enemy, you don't know you're in danger, then you're probably the most danger of all. But we have to know there's immense pressure against us to stop following Jesus. It's the same pressures that existed back then. Um, So he's saying, um, my disciples are going to be in the world, um, but if you you keep following me, you're going to be like foreigners. It's like, um, you can maybe recognize, like Katie and I went to Europe and uh, Europeans in in France, they they joked about, you can always tell when the Americans come through because they're super loud. And we're kind of loud and obnoxious um, and, and weird tourists sometimes. But it's like, well, here's the Americans. They're not very stylish and they're loud. And French people are very stylish. Uh, I didn't really get it, but maybe that just tells me how unstylish I am. But anyway, uh, it's like you stick out in a foreign country. And then maybe, you know, people are like, hey, oh, here they come with their loudness and their bad shoes and their bad shorts. And, you know, here they come. And it's like, that's kind of like what it's going to feel like. Jesus... We love him, and he makes us into different people. He makes us different from the world. And so now it's like we're foreigners in our own country. It's like we're, which is true, we're citizens of heaven. We're citizens of his kingdom, and yet we're still living in this place um, as foreigners, as exiles, like we're immigrants. So there's immense pressure for us to kind of assimilate and just give in to the values around us rather than keep the values of our home country. In verse 15, Jesus gets even more clear. He says this, I did not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. The evil one refers to Satan, the ruler of this world, the ancient serpent who deceived Adam and Eve with a lie about God to get them to disobey God. And the evil one is going to continue to lead people away from God, to lead us away from God by getting us to believe lies about God rather than the truth. The the evil one, Satan, the serpent, ruler of this world, wants to disparage God's name. He wants to smear God's name. He wants to put fake bad reviews online or whatever about God um, so that we read those things and then we're like, oh, I guess God must be a real jerk. And so I'm not going to obey him. And the only way out of the world... Out of this path of eternal destruction is to believe the truth about God so that we can have eternal life. Because the ruler's world wants to keep us in lies, wants to keep us away from God, wants us to keep us believing God's really not that good and sin isn't really that bad. And so just stay in the world and we need to believe the truth about God so we come back to Him. Then in verses 17 and 19, Jesus makes his third request in, in this prayer. He says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. 
and sanctify and consecrate are the same words in the original language. And they mean to make something holy or to set something apart for God's use. And for something to be used by God, it needs to be made holy. And the way we're made holy is by Jesus washing us. Like he washes disciples' feet. When we trust in him, his death on the cross washes us. And now we're not just saved from our sin, but we're saved for something. We're saved for God's purposes to be used by God. And when we hear the truth about him, it's what sets us apart so that we can live for his purposes. And in this fourth request, Jesus makes clear, well, what does this mission look like? What does it look like for us to live in the world? And in these final verses, um, he starts praying for his future disciples, ones that would believe in him 100 years later, 500 years later, and even today or in the next you know, five minutes, he's praying for all of us. So he says in verses 20 through 26, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. And Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, See my glory that you've given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I'll continue to make it known that the love with which you've loved me may be in them, and I in them. Jesus' desire for us as his future disciples is the same as those disciples then, that we love, that we know God Truly, so that we love each other deeply. And it's like, well, why does he want us to love each other deeply? He says the purpose in verse 21. He says, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Then in verse 23, he says it again. So that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. And so Jesus wants the world, if you want to put it in a verse, he wants the world to know John 3.16. For God so loved the world, for God so loved us, that he sent his only son that's the gospel. God so loved the world that he sent his son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. And these disciples have come to believe that good news. They've come to believe the good news of what's true about God, of his love for us. And so our love for each other, as we said, uh, proves the gospel is true. And this is like, it proves the gospel is true to the world because you know, what's, uh, there's maybe no thing that's less convincing than us telling you know, imagine telling somebody, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Um, and then they're like, as they watch us fight with each other and gossip and bicker and not resolve conflict and divide over things that don't really matter or leave uh, church congregations because we say, you know what, that person's too difficult to deal with. You know what, that uh, thing that happened between me and that person, I don't want to deal with it, so I'm going to leave. And so off. we have this availability today of, being able to drive the different congregations. Uh, but so that gives us a convenience sometimes of not resolving the things that actually prove to the world um, that our love is different than the world's love, that God has loved us so much and that he was, the, the lengths um, that he was willing to go to, are we, that's supposed to be in us so that we go to those lengths to love one another and commit to one another. And here's maybe a way to think about it. In order for a musical instrument, I hope I don't mess up. I have so many musicians in the room today. I hope I don't mess this, the terms up here. But in order for a musical instrument to sound good, it needs to be 
in tune. Look, I see, I see the assessing eyes. All you musicians popped up like, uh-huh, yeah, I'll just, I'll just see the disapproval later, it's fine. But we were, in order for a musical instrument to sound good, it needs to be in tune. And God made us um, as instruments of his love. Our life is supposed to reflect his love for us, and it won't do that unless we're in tune with the truth about God. We're an instrument, and we need to be in tune with the truth about God. When you tune an instrument, you're tuning it to an outside pitch, to an outside reality. It doesn't have it. It's out here, um, and you get in tune with that. It's a, it's a truth. It's a reality that needs to get in tune with. And we need to tune our hearts to what's true about God, his name, his character, his word. And knowing God truly is what tunes us as instruments to play the beautiful music of his love to each other and to the uh, other people. And God's will you want to know God's will for your life, in any decision you make, whatever you face, it's God's will is that we do everything in tune with the truth about him. And that can look a lot of different ways when you play an instrument. Um, it can be in tune and sound good, but you can play a lot of different notes. And so your life, all of our lives look very different, but they can all be a reflection um, of God's will if we're in tune with the truth about him. It doesn't all have to look the same. And God wants us to know... Uh, Jesus wants us to know God truly, so we'll love each other deeply. And he wants us to be one, so we'll be one with each other. And if you think about an orchestra uh, and a conductor, they're, they're one with each other. If they're, all, if they're all in tune with the same pitch, the same reality, all the instruments have agreed and have matched themselves to that pitch. And if everyone follows the, the conductor and no one says, like, you know, I'm just going to do my own thing. I'm going to play my own solo. I'm going to tune myself to this other, you know, pitch over here. And all you guys can tune yourself to that one, but I'm doing my own thing. Like, how horrible would that sound? Um, and so we need to um, be one with our conductor. We need to be one with God. We need to know him. He wants to conduct our lives. And we need to tune ourselves um, to the truth about him. But then at the same time, we need to work together as this orchestra that are all playing you know, our own instruments and our own notes and all of that works together to create this song of God's love you know, in the world. But it isn't just that you know, Jesus left us with a piece of sheet music to play like, here you go, here's what you need to play, uh, and I'll be in heaven. Good luck. I'm, you're down here. Here's what you need to play. But he sends the Holy Spirit to be our conductor. The Holy Spirit comes to live inside us, to be with us. And the Holy Spirit does two things. He tunes our hearts to the truths about the gospel, and he directs us on how to live in light of that. So he's the one that's conducting us. He's like, okay, get in tune with this truth, and now I'm going to conduct you to live in light of that. So the Holy Spirit tunes our hearts to the truths of the gospel, and he directs us how to live in light of the gospel. And Jesus says, his greatest desire for us is that we know God truly. And so what gets in the way of us knowing God? Like, think of some reasons. What gets in the way of us knowing God? Let's just throw them out there um, audibly. <coughs> what gets in the way of that? Pride. Pride? Yeah, which kind of says... You know what? I don't need you, God. I like know my own way. Mm -hmm. It's better. Mm -hmm. Pride, which is really the root of it all. But mm -hmm. um, so that's maybe like really deep in the roots. Is there other things kind of down in the roots that keep us from knowing God, or are there maybe just like practices we do that keep us from knowing God? Like I know I should pray, God, because that's talking to you. I know I should read your word, God, because that's listening to you. I know I should come gather to your people, um, but 
you know, for whatever reason we don't. The opposite of pride, sense of unworthiness. Well, maybe you're unworthy. So you just stay away from him. Yeah. Keeps us from knowing him. Yeah. Flesh. Our flesh, which could be connected with the pride of like, um, just draws us away. Pray, but I'm tired and I can't do it tomorrow. Or oh, you mean just like maybe physical exhaustion or something yeah. like that? Yeah, so we maybe prioritize, like, you know, God, whatever it is, laying in my recliner and watching TV, I just, I'm too tired to know you right now, or something like that, you know. We are too busy. Mm -hmm. Too busy. We make yeah. other things a priority over spending time with Him. Yeah, we make our lives super busy. Mm hmm Maybe even anger. Our lies aren't what we think they should be, so mm. why should we talk to God if He's not giving us what we think we need? Yeah, you ever angry at Him or disappointed? Like, you know, what good are you? You're not being the genie I want you to be. Didn't grant my wishes. Yeah. Yeah. Doubt. Like, is He, is he really near? Is He really good? Mm -hmm. Yeah, like. You say these things, but maybe they're not true. Lies, doubt. Yeah, we lit, we wrote this stuff down here. You know, we could have made another list here, or we could have made a little wall. And it's like this is what we want, but all those things that we just listed about getting in the way—that's um, what keeps us from getting this. We want endurance. We want joy. We want purpose. We want um, to desire to obey and please him. This is why we want to know his will for us. All those things we wrote down, um, we, if we want to do know God's will, if we want to live in his will, we need to know him truly, and those things get in our way. And God, the way he guides us in his will, isn't so much about telling us what to do, but in changing what we desire. It's at a deeper level than simply like, you know, like the GPS map of like, do this now, do that now, do this now. Um, what God does is he changes us at a deeper level, our desires. And if uh, character formation, um, changing who we are and what we desire, is always more powerful than behavior modification of like, he's just, you know, sometimes I think we, I sometimes expect the Holy Spirit, like, tell me what to do in this moment. And it's like, well, you know, maybe ask yourself, what would be loving? What would, be, what would give joy? Or what would look like peace and patience and kindness? Like, what would, uh, what would God do? in this situation, he's in me. Don't know what that was, mystery bang. Um, but Jesus' will for your life, so you know God truly, so we'll love each other deeply. If we love each other, it proves the gospel is true. Uh, one of the most important things we can do to the our community practice is living as family, loving as servants. And living as family is you know, defining us like as the family of God. And loving as servants is both an inward thing uh, to, to our community of like we love each other as servants and it is an outside thing too because that, that spills to the outside too we love other people as servants as well um, but that's how the world sees and so often we talked about playing a solo we'll come back to the rope uh, analogy if you guys have been here for this um, but so often we get in this tug of war with God so imagine like this orchestra set up uh, and there's a conductor you know everyone's getting ready everyone's tuning their instruments and somebody just comes tromping in and they just sit down they didn't tune their instrument and then they start playing and the conductor's like whoa, whoa, whoa hold up uh somebody's not tuned yeah i'm not tuned and 
I don't care. I've tuned myself to a different reality than you. you know? So they're in this tug of war with the conductor. The conductor's like, well, you know, you really got to get in tune. No. You know, so there's this tug of war with the conductor. And then you know, other people are saying like, hey, you, know, you really should get in tune. No. I, maybe you should get in tune with me. You know, get in this, this tug of war with each other. And this is like what we do you know, in the church in our lives. We get this tug of war with God. God, this is what I want you to do. These are the things I want you to do with me. And, and prayer, praying in Jesus' name, some, I've heard someone say that it's not about pulling God to us. It's about pulling ourselves to what God wants us to do. And we can't be one with God. We can't be one with the conductor for a tug of war. Because two people at the opposite end of a rope, they can't embrace. They can't be one. And we have to let go of the rope and say, God, it's about your will. It's about your desires. It's about what you want for me. It's about what you want to do through me. And so that allows us to be one with God and embrace him. And the same thing with other people. Like we can't be one with each other if we keep pulling the rope. And so often in relationships, um, we can tend to ask, like, you know, what do I need in this relationship? And what if we started asking, what can I give to this relationship? And instead of tugging on the rope, we try to tug our desires and our needs out of somebody else. Instead, we just drop the rope and came to be one with them and say, you know, I want to love you. I want to find out what your desires and what your needs are. My greatest desire is that you know God, you experience his love through me, and I'm going to let go of this rope so that we can be one with one another. And so often when we say to God, going back to pride, is um, pride says, I don't need you, and it's about me. And then if we say that to God, uh, I don't need you, and it's about me, well, what are we going to say to other people? Well, I don't need them, and it's about me. You know, so that's but if we get the opposite way, we find, see God's love for us. I need him. And it's not about me, it's about him. And now we start looking at other people. Well, I, I need them in my life. And God has sent me to love them. And it's about God and him being glorified in this relationship. So as we're beginning, uh, as we're closing, let's say this out loud together. I need God. I need God. Secondly, it's about him. It's about him. Now we're going to get really uncomfortable. <laughs> Turn to the person next to you and say, I need you. I need, I need you. you. I need you. <laughs> but Brian told no, the I wall. <laughs> oh, well. We don't need walls. It's the point. <laughs> Nobody told that to me. I'm very unneeded. That's okay. Uh, but, no. Oh, thanks. Now tell the person next to you, it's about God. It's, it's about, about God. God. Oh, thank, thank you, Christian. Wow. You're very special. Yeah, but God, Jesus calls us to be different from the world in our love. And love is about connection and commitment. There's the connection of, we have affection for each other. Connection says, I want to be with you. And commitment also says, um, I'm committed to you. I'm not going anywhere. And sometimes connection wears out. Sometimes we're like, when we, sometimes we have a hard time saying, I want to be with you. Um, another person sitting next to us you know, on Sundays or whenever it is, like, like man, I don't really want to be with those people. But when commitment or when connection is lacking, that's when commitment says, you know, for better or for worse, till death do us part. You know, that's what we say in marriage. But we say that to one another too. I mean, God said that to us. For better or worse, till death do us part. I'm even going to die to make it clear how <coughs> committed I am to you and will you accept that. And that's God's commitment to us. Um, and in his grace, it's not only that he's committed to us, but that he wants us, that he's, uh, he takes joy in us, where it's treasured possession. And then he says, this is the type of love I want you to show one another. And so when we know God truly, 
what God is truly like, what his love is truly like, then that becomes something that we start to express to one another. We love each other deeply. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your vast and deep love that knows no bounds for us. And would you let us know that? And would you let us show it to one another to prove that Jesus really did come from you and that you really do love us? It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Mm -hmm. Thank you.